0: Hello and welcome to the Inspired Astrology Podcast. This is Lauren K. Hickman. Welcome home. Welcome to the space. Checking in with you. How are you doing? Staying hydrated? (laughs) I am. um, I am live casting here from Hinterland, a music festival in St. Charles, Iowa, just south of Des Moines, about 40 minutes. Um, I am surrounded by RV trailers, and it is an overcast and very, very muggy, humid day here in the Midwest. This is corn growing weather for sure. Um, I am out here with Kin, a modern mystical shop, uh, who's invited me to join up forces to support the shop as well as to do astrology readings and make magic here out in the fields, the cornfields of Iowa. This weekend is the new moon in Leo. We are dead smack in the middle of, if you're in the Northern hemisphere, the summer season of Leo, where the sun is bright and shiny in the sky, where the summer heat is glowing and warming and nourishing and sometimes scorching people's skin. (laughs) <laughs> so, stay protected. Wear your long sleeves and your sunscreen and your hats and your eyeglasses because uh, it gets real, you know? It's real. So, Leo is associated with the heart. And we have two full moons this month in Aquarius, which creates, uh, you know, we often say that a blue moon is when there's two full moons within one month period, but it is even more rare to have a blue moon fall within a season or cycle of astrology. And so Leo's opposite force is Aquarius. And I talked some, uh, this last full moon report about the axis of identity, You know, so this this is really a time and a season to line up with your soul compass, your soul star, uh, to really get in line with the feelings of who you are and what you are here to do and express in this world. I know it takes all of us working together as individual units, as healthy cells of a greater organ to create the kind of harmony and beauty and life that we want to see around us. So I ask you, you know, what kind of world do you want to live in and how are you creating that for yourself and your community? No pressure. It's just something to consider. <laughs> so this weekend is the uh, what's known as Lions Gate. Lionsgate uh, is the alignment of the star Sirius with the sun and this happens typically around 8-8 and 8 being numerologically about abundance and creation and if you turn it on its side it's the infinity symbol uh, representing the sort of greater force the cycles that we are in whether we understand it or not these greater cycles and flows of the world. Uh, the star Sirius is um, historically known as, you know, it's aligned with Leo energy because of this, these seasonal activities with the star aligning with the sun during Leo season. But Sirius is known as the soul star, sort of a um, higher octave or the higher vibration of this galaxy that we live in. So this is deeply a great time for manifestation and doing, doing some work, uh, doing some consideration. New moons are about planting good seeds and finding those cycles for yourself. So again, Sirius is deeply connected in the esoteric tradition with the higher self, representing the soul energy in our universe. And this happenstance in Leo season, coupled with the two Aquarius full moons with this, with this month, this energetic period, really emphasizes the importance of Leo and its teachings. Now Leo is a fixed fire sign. It's one of the fire uh, triad which is so much about purification and burning through the layers of self to get to know the self better and to express that higher heart vibration in the world through our actions of service and generosity, through bringing more chairs to the table. Um helping other people feel more comfortable in groups, right? So think about that Aquarius, the opposite of Leo being about group identity and the collective and Leo being about the individual and often representing leadership. Leadership is this idea of joining heaven and earth together, you know, of of representing that lower and upper realms of the human experience. When I do meditations with people, I often focus on, you know, the sacrum, that energy of connection between our material physical form, the actions and motives that we that we make through the world, uh, through the expression of, of the lower body. And then, you know, the upper body being representative of the will, the higher will, the heart intentions, the mind, all of this unifying force that that helps propel us into our actions and intentions. So this uniting of heaven and earth comes through the Leo heart energy and really bringing service and generosity, love and gratitude. um, And, you know, treating everybody with this honor and respect that is kind of considered a a royal expression of the Leo heart. Leo is ruled by the sun. The sun being this energetic gaseous star at the center of our galaxy, offering its own purification and self-consumption to light and nourish all life everywhere within this galaxy. So the sun warms and nourishes, but also scorches plants and unprotected skin. So this flare, get it? Sun flare. This flare for the dramatic, which is often associated with Leo, is bolstered further by the sole ruler of Neptune with Leo's energy Neptune Uranus also has a connection in the esoteric tradition with Leo uh, and Uranus is trying is square to um, to the moon and Sun this week so we'll talk about that a little bit but you know Neptune at its most shallow is very glamour focused it's vain can be deeply expressive often and it can be pretty selfish sometimes But in the development of self uh, that it kind of has to be done through expression, right? Learning to find your edges and your resonant energy through the guise of drama and human emotions here in this world. But, you know, Neptune As a soul purpose, as our inspiration, as our connection to all that is, that watery, connective quality of like plasma or things beyond the scene that connects us with all life, this ocean of everything. So the soul purpose, right, the heart, that Leo, like other fire signs, is this purification method offering to burn off the more superficial aspects of ourselves right And that can be the neptune glamour that kind of layer or mask that we that we wear in the world um so this can guide us from materialism into the expression of our our own inner light so this new moon i i'd love for you to consider how to love yourself humbly right there's a lot of virgo energy in this weekend's chart a virgo rising Uh, Mercury is the chart ruler and that's at the later edges of Leo. We have Venus and Mars also in Virgo energy. Um, and I thought a lot about the, the energy of, of some of these alignments here last night. And I'm just riffing right now, but you know, what are your hidden motivations? What are your hidden desires? You know, Mars is veiled in the 12th house with this moon cycle, um, venus is going to be in the first house and this is here in the midwest of course um you can you know check your local chart uh i'm speaking from you know what what resonates from where i am where i am standing so i can tap into the energy but mars veiled in the 12th house can in virgo specifically can be like how are you spending your energy is it making you resentful are you generating and doing the work that feels meaningful to you are you finding busy work and distractions that are preventing you from doing your, your stuff, right? The things that you desire that you know would make you happy. But it's a lot easier to clean your kitchen, Virgo, than it is to work on your uh, soul service and and path, right? Also, Virgo, Mars. So Venus and Virgo, we know that, you know, that these, these two planets have been in that sign, which kind of overshadows a lot of the dramatic flair for Leo season, we kind of had a a short ingress of that, uh, Venus and Mars energy in Leo. Uh, it was kind of a hot minute ago, but with, with Venus and Virgo in the first house, it's opposite to Neptune and Pisces in, in the sixth house. Um, what this makes me think about is self-love and how we find the humility and connection to doing the work that we find meaningful, uh, in a day in our day-to-day tasks. You know, what is that greater vision, that inspiration that makes you feel part of a bigger purpose, a bigger scene? And then the Leo sun and moon are opposite to earth. And earth is always opposite to that sun energy um, in our own charts. And so that is the Aquarius earth energy, the, the greater good, the communal, the higher purpose and how we can make meaning and find our way into that journey through the heart-filled expression of ourselves, finding and resonating with our soul path. So again, Virgo highlights this dark moon and albeit associated with the self-reflective tendencies that can turn one towards a tailspin. It also offers the guidance and service to, to the self so that you can, you can continue on your path, your chosen path. However, <laughs> Uranus' square this week create, created a lot of uncertainty, chaos, and unexpected forces, right? So maybe you had some uh, flashlight moments on some of your old shit, some of your old childhood stuff, and some of the patterns that are coming up in your life currently. You know, I can share a bit a bit about my experience with that, if that would be helpful to you. But, you know, Uranus squaring the sun and moon join makes... For blessed opportunities to, to shine that flashlight, to get right with the expression and movement towards our personal freedom. Uranus is about freedom. It's how we break free from things that bind us, that hold us back, our karmic expressions that pattern, right? Even, even the moon itself in esoteric astrology is, is about uh, the, the, dead, the dead weight, the dead wood, as Professor Art Johnson used to say back in my, my writing classes. Then we have Mercury, sextile Pluto, and this can provide some glimpse or insight into your own personal transformation if you choose to tap into that. You know, Pluto helps to overturn the things that are in the shadow or in, in, uh, in our deep subconscious minds or psyche. Mercury, of course, bringing that to the surface, helping to travel it from one arena to the next, to the surface to be dealt with. And then again, Venus opposite to Neptune is activating this self-love versus universal love and locating the map for your life towards the actualization of your personal vision of who you are and what you're becoming. So no, no energy, uh, you know, any, any chart makeups that I talk about, you know, nothing is an overnight change. Right. So we we talk about new moons being planting seeds and kind of connecting in with ourselves and our values. Um, But there's no magic wand that I can wave over your head. There's no attunement process that's going to give you immediate uh, happy pill. You know, there's there's no such thing. It's life takes time. It's a process and it's gentle because of those things. You know, we don't have to make it painful for us to go through growth periods, And I think if I could talk to my younger self, my 19-year-old Lauren self, I would I would tell her to qualify my affirmations and tensions with in the gentlest way possible. May I grow in the gentlest way possible with the deepest understanding. I hope that for you. Life is a healing process. So finding your truth and internal compass is the unlearning process of what your experience has nudged you towards. Versus knowing what your imprint is on this world. There's only one you. And if you've got a reading from me, that's, I mean, that's the biggest takeaway that I can offer you is that there is no other being like you out there. Uh, there's genres and categories of people. There's folks that look alike, you know, because how many variations of humans can you really pull out of uh, the, the primordial soup of our existence? Um, so it's it's really just a matter of finding your vibration your heart self that imprint of you you know the heart being the cell that divides and divides again to create the four chambers of the heart creating this personal memory this womb and mother inside of us that's been there since you were just an embryo you know you've already won right you know soul integrated and and you're here you've won How can we make the best out of this experience? How can you unite all of those fractured parts of your being so that you can really love yourself for the unique person that you are? No one else can do you, you know? And I think Oscar Wilde said, you know, it's best to be yourself. Everyone else is taken, right? (laughs) So consider how much you belong here your imprint in this time and in this incredibly crucial moment for spaceship planet earth all of its inhabitants consider your part in the greater vision because only you can do your work so i encourage you to shine your soul light your flashlight yeah, this has been an interesting week, you know, with all that Uranus tensions, you know, people are like, man, what's going on? I'm getting all these text messages. And here I am having a meltdown because I'm, you know, going to do my first festival set up for three days, hanging out in an RV with my good friend, Heather, owner of Kin, and uh, really holding down the, the fort, so to speak. Um, I didn't realize how many underlying tensions I had around group settings and allowing myself to be seen so that's my garbage truck for this week is bringing all that stuff to the surface and you know fortunately have a good partner and a good therapist you know that I'm I'm working with this this dynamic within myself the Aries sun with the Libra rising Uh, I want to be independent I want to be alone I want to do my own thing but I crave others I crave community I crave connection Pisces moon Um, So this this week has really brought up a lot of tensions about um, will I be accepted in this group? Will I be pushed out as I was many, many times in childhood from my own family unit, you know, because that's where I could get control was staying home if I didn't feel like hanging out with everybody else. Uh, And then group dynamics coming up was, um, you know, if I, I just wanted to do my own thing, Or maybe I would be ousted uh, because I was a weirdo or I just wasn't with the right people. Maybe that's part of it is that I just was hanging with the wrong crowds that would forget about me or leave me out or leave me behind. Um, Or traveling with people that didn't know how to help me. There's a lot of forgiveness work that comes around these things and uh, my own scared child self, my little Pisces moon shivering in its boots (laughs) trying to figure out where I'm supposed to go and uh for all of you with a zero degree Pisces anything in your chart you know Jupiter's kind of traipsing back and forth along that as it moved back into Aquarius a quick anecdote on uh hello cricket um the mask mandate uh I think Eliza Kelly, who's a you know, pop astrologer out there, you know, she, she put out that information. You know, when, when Jupiter moved into Pisces back in May, they pulled down the mass mandates. And then it moved back into Aquarius uh, end of July, and bam, it's back. So this is about, again, the group efforts, the Aquarius efforts. Uh, you know, Pisces is, is very manifestive of, of blessings and change and movement forwards and unity. But we're not there yet. We have not figured out how to do this fucking pandemic correctly. Um, I, on my drive down here, you know, going to an outdoor festival and, um, you know, being vaccinated and encouraging people to do so, Um, you know, I know that not all my clients are on board with that. Uh, I respect and honor you. Uh, However, this thing is still mutating and that's terrifying to me. Um, you know, I'm listening to the news and I'm hearing all of this stuff. And I keep thinking, what am I doing at a music festival? And then I think about how I can make an impact one person at a time. You know, I am not here to party. <laughs> you know, I just celebrated 11 years sober uh, last weekend. So this this is an opportunity for me to try to find my service and my soul self and my expression. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, it's tough trying to be an astrologer and be an energy worker especially having moved to a different city during a pandemic and looking for my community and looking for places to channel my service it's kind of feast or famine you know Um, I love doing what I do Uh, I, (laughs) I I would like to be able to have enough to take care of myself including health insurance and all of the things right Um, and I love putting out free content to support my people out there, my audience that are benefiting from this work, you know? So, uh, if you feel like getting a gift certificate for a friend or getting an updated reading or doing some energy work together, um, this is what I do for a living. And, uh, I don't know if I want to go back to coffee shops or even a grown-up desk job, (laughs) but we'll see what happens. Um, I am just trusting that everything's going to unfold as it should and I hope that you can do the same for yourself. So in honor of Kin and Hinterland, I interviewed Leo Queen, Heather and Parker Rowe. Uh, Heather is the owner of Kin, a modern mystical apothecary in the Des Moines area. Uh, also online at kindsm.com, Uh I met Heather through the algorithm, man. Instagram uh, sort of drew me to her shop uh, shortly after I moved back uh, to Des Moines from Brooklyn, New York. And I've been by her side ever since. You know, she she got me out of my comfort zone. I I started doing my astrology pop-ups with Ken back in February, Groundhog's Day 2019. Um, I have made some of the best connections and friendships and clientele that I could ever have imagined uh, because of the magnetism and beauty of what Heather has created. Her story is one of heart and generosity and finding her expression and trusting the journey and how it unfolded for herself. So I am really, really pleased to have our conversation recorded a few weeks back when I was in Des Moines seeing clients, and uh, I'll be posting that today. So uh, I appreciate you tuning in. I hope wherever you are that you are taking good and precious care of yourself because you matter, your story matters, your journey matters. Stay inspired. So I'm looking out through this huge window, and we're down at the AC Grand Hotel in the East Village of Des Moines, Iowa. And I'm here with Heather Ann Parker Rowe. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) It's Leo season, and your birthday's coming up. Mm -hmm. And I you've made such an impact on my life and I mean, that's apparent because I'm always oozing all over you, but I, I think that you really represent that, that regalness and that strength of becoming your authentic self, even though it's a process, you know, we're always becoming. Um, but I, I wanted to you know, ask you to, to share a bit about your story and your journey as a Leo and opening your beautiful shop, Kin, maybe the hardships that have come with that and how, I don't know, how maybe you would talk to your 13-year-old self if you had the chance to. I love that.
1: Yeah, we are... I feel like we're always evolving Um, specifically... I mean, I always wanted to have a shop. I think that being a shopkeeper is often a dream of children. The the idea of having a space that reflects you and the things in it are all things you want (laughs) is... Similar to having a dollhouse, right? You can just make everything just as you like it and just so and it's to your taste and it's to your liking and When your friend comes over to play with the dollhouse if they criticize it You can say okay. Well cool. Let's go see your dollhouse, you know, or you don't take it as personally or maybe you do because you're a child but the shop I feel like came about in an interesting way I thought I knew what it was going to be, and then it became something different, which is, I guess, you know, a good metaphor for everybody's lives. Yes.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, where did, where did this journey begin for you? I know that you've lived a thousand different lives the same way that I have. You know, where, where were you born? Where did that journey take you? I'd love to hear about your relationship with your dad and his, uh, his crystal specimens.
1: Yeah, yeah, so I was born in Fort Myers, I don't remember much about Florida except for we would we would go back there a few times a year and then I spent my childhood in Champaign Illinois and that was a college town so it felt I had I had a pretty idyllic childhood in terms of I look back on it and it's these sun-soaked memories I don't remember the harsh winters or the blizzards that my mom told me about that were record setting. I don't remember any of that. I remember summertime and playing with the neighborhood kids and, and then it's kind of all overshadowed by some childhood trauma, which is what childhood trauma does. It eats away at the, at the really good stuff and you can hold on to some positive memories, but for the most part, you're going to walk away from that traumatic period. Even if you've worked on it in therapy or you've worked on it internally, it's still going to color that whole experience. And so that sun-soaked, idyllic childhood that did have trauma, it kind of, I mean, I had incidences with babysitters, and then I also, uh, when I was really young, I had a best friend on my street. And I remember distinctly how the sidewalk would change right around in front of his house because the seeds from trees had fallen into the concrete. There were trees over his part, over his like yard. And every time I would roller skate down to his house, I knew I was going to run into bumpiness. And I always knew by looking down like where I was in the neighborhood, where I was on the sidewalk. and. His dad passed away. His dad was my first experience of death, and we were really young. His, my friend's name was Martin, and his father was in a motorcycle accident, and, uh, and then he died of a brain tumor. And so it was a lot of tragedy because his dad was so sick, and then there was an issue. And then his mom died, and he Martin and I discovered her in her bedroom. And I didn't have a lot of time to process that because I, the last thing I remember is running back from his bumpy sidewalk to the smooth sidewalk and going to get my mom. And then uh, seeing my mom when we went back to his house, See, cause they were good friends, um, seeing her climb into the back of the ambulance. And Martin and I were just left on the sidewalk just sort of wondering what was gonna happen. But she had had an aneurysm and it was so crazy because Every day we would go over to his house and we'd play. We would try to catch minnows, and then um, and then that was one of my last memories of champagne because my father had already accepted a job in Michigan, so I didn't get a lot of time to process that um, when I moved to Adrian. And as I got older, I did go to some therapy for it, and um, yeah, I'll never I'll never forget how awful and sad those experiences were but I mean besides that I had a nice childhood I went to Adrian Michigan I really didn't like it it was a really small town where everybody was in everybody's business and um I made some good friends gritted my teeth through middle school and then high school did my own thing Uh, And then I knew I wanted to go really, really far away for college. Most of my peers were staying in Michigan for whatever they were doing, and I always knew I wanted to go somewhere warm and somewhere I was familiar with. So that's how I started. I picked a college. I picked a university in Florida. I was lucky enough to go. I know I was really privileged to be able to go that far away. And I just wanted to kind of be who I was. I wanted to enter a new scene and be the person I knew I was because I wasn't as accepted in that little town. You know, they thought it was weird that I wore clothes that weren't from the limited or Benetton or you remember those Coca-Cola shirts that came in every color with that white band. I mean, we're talking white K-Swiss, Coca-Cola shirts, It was a lot of sameness, and then here I was, and I wasn't really down with that. So I wanted to go somewhere. It wasn't just about clothes, it was about everything. I wanted to uh, not be criticized for the music I listened to. I wanted to meet people who shared a love of music and bands. I wanted to be able to look the way I wanted to and have no restrictions or feel like I was being judged. And that really worked out for me. And then um, you and I talked about that thing that made me uh, move to Gainesville. So I kind of changed in the middle of my undergrad and I ended up having this really unfortunate experience. Yeah, so I ended up getting my undergraduate degree from the University of Florida. I was in a really fun band, couple bands in Gainesville. Um, In high school, I started playing the bass guitar. I would take lessons from this guy, the one guy in town who offered guitar lessons and I remember how much he used to roll his eyes at me because he wanted to teach me random dumb songs that I wasn't into and I just wanted to learn all the bass lines to a Pixie song or The Cure. I mean, and it drove him bananas. He couldn't think of anything he'd like to do less than look up a Cure song and teach me the bass tab. it was not a match made in heaven. I we didn't have YouTube back in the day, so I ended up um, playing my cassettes so many times that you know the tape would come out and I'd break them and I'd have to tape them. And then you know I was I was a very like late adapter to CDs. I'm like, oh, this will be another phase. Three years into it, I mean cassettes are gone. I mean even the best part of cassettes were the cassingles where you could get the same, you could just play the same song over. <laughs> just turn it and it's like a different version of the song. Um, so CDs required all new technology. I remember everybody carrying around these big disc mans, but um, yeah, I was, I was a really late adapter to that. I would go to lots of concerts in high school and that carried on in college. When I got into, when I moved to Gainesville, I found, uh, my people. And it was a great scene. I ended up playing bass for this really fun band. And then the singer-guitar player for that band, she wanted to go on tour with one of her other bands. So in the interim, the drummer and I uh, formed another band with two of the guys from Hot Water Music. And we had a lot of fun because we were able to use their van and their connections and tour. And that was amazing. We made a record. We made an EP. We were... Uh, put out on No Idea Records. And it was just, it was a really, really fun time. And then that band kind of ran its course because I realized I wanted to move out of Gainesville after I graduated. And I had some romantic entanglements that I was probably too young and immature to handle correctly. And the easiest thing to do when you're young and immature is cut and run, right? Duh. So I packed up everything and I'm like, I'm leaving the band. And it sounds really dramatic and it actually kind of was ridiculously dramatic and I the last band we toured with was from San Diego and they said come on out and see us anytime and I said okay so I went out to San Diego I felt absolutely head over heels for that city I mean what is not to like about San Diego it's got perfect weather it has interesting places you've got like the beach you've got Mexico You've got the mountains are just a hop, skip, and a jump away. Um, instead of being trapped in Florida, and then if you get out of Florida, it's like, oh, well, there's Georgia, or there's Louisiana. I mean, it's in California, you can get to some really cool other states pretty quickly. And I don't know, I just loved it. I found more of my people there. And I did play in a band in California, but... What I was focusing on there was trying to figure out what I was going to do, right? And that's a huge part of your youth in your twenties like, what am I going to do? So I went to get my credential in teaching, and I started grad school. And met a few men, dated them, got engaged to another guy that didn't end up working out. But um, the most, the best takeaways from San Diego weren't just the people. Those are that is the best takeaway, but. Um, I started a record label, I started a PR firm for musicians and bands, I started, uh, I was writing for zines, I was writing music articles, I was doing um, a little bit of booking, and, and then that kind of just fed into everybody was a creative in that scene everybody was either doing music for a living because it was a lot easier to do music for a living when you were in your 20s you could make it work you could pile into do a house with eight other people you could pay that fucking rent in this house that's probably worth a billion dollars now in hillcrest across from balboa park <laughs> mind-blowing like we all managed to do it though there were like three houses that you landed in when you moved to San Diego and you were in the scene and one was like in Golden Hill and one was in Hillcrest and the other one was I don't know probably Binkers Hill and then you would just get taken in by these people until you got on your feet and then you would sort of blossom and do your own thing so uh, I got my teaching credential I started student teaching because you know my parents would always tell me, since they were so traditional, like, you need a real job. You need to be able to pay your bills. And I started student teaching at Coronado High School. And I remember driving across that bridge. You just went to San Diego. Did you drive across that bridge? It's wild, right? It's spectacular. Yeah. Unreal. <laughs> unreal. Yeah. So every day I would drive across that bridge to do my student teaching. And I taught at the high school. I really loved it, but that, uh, Coronado is a really interesting mix of like very, very wealthy people and then underprivileged people. So you get completely two different worlds there, but it's mostly very wealthy people because increasingly so to be able to live on an island next to San Diego, you have to have a lot of money. So I realized pretty quickly that those while i loved a lot of my students and i'm still in touch with a few of them today that wasn't really what i wanted to do with my time i didn't want to spend my time teaching over over privileged children i wanted to go somewhere where i felt i could make more of an impact so there were all these little threads that were sort of wrapping up for me in san diego telling me that my time was almost up there and that came about it manifested itself very clearly to me in different ways and I remember having a conversation with my parents, and they were living in Michigan still. And they said, you know, you can get a job teaching in Chicago or Detroit so easily. You can get a great bonus. And I thought about it for a long time. And a lot of my mom's family lives around Detroit. So I would have all my cousins and my aunts and uncles, but they none of them live in Detroit anymore. This was before, like, Detroit started having that, like, movement of revitalization and whatnot, gentrification. And I knew a lot of the musicians from San Diego. There was sort of this weird pipeline from San Diego to Chicago and back.
0: I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So... You'd know somebody in San Diego for a couple of years and then they'd be like, oh, he moved to Chicago and like, oh, they just moved here from Chicago. So I did know a lot of people. Also, my cousin was living in Chicago as a, he was working as a fashion designer. So I did have some family there. So I chose Chicago. And then um, after living there, I, you know, a few apartments. The school I worked for, was called Spaulding High School. It was right down the street from Harpo Studios and it was a k-12 special needs school which would not be around today and it was children who for whatever reason couldn't attend a quote normal high school so they had uh, just totally different kinds of issues and no child left behind was passed and that legislature meant that all of these children would be mainstreamed, whether they were comfortable with that, which most of them were not comfortable with that um, or not. They all had to be like spread and fed into like all of the high schools and in the the schools in Chicago. So this school was going to shut down and word on the street was, you know, the city really wanted the real estate because they thought it was very, it was, it was in a great location. Like I said, it was right down the street from Harpo Studios. So if it was good enough for Oprah, it was going to be obviously good enough for the city of Chicago to come swoop and take it away. And that was one of the most heartbreaking moments of my life is trying to process this huge change for children who, a lot of them lived in group homes, a lot of them were orphans, a lot of them... Um, looked so different from you and me that you just you would never even know that a child like this could exist in the world and they were all scared they were all frightened to go to these to these schools where they would just be lost in the crowd because here at Spalding they had uh they had had the same teachers they knew the building the building was outfitted for whatever disabilities they were living with and um a lot of the, the schools in Chicago are not being kept up to code. so they they knew they were going to be fed into schools that didn't have working elevators um, that didn't have accommodations for them. But it was now the law, And so the school was going to close down. So that was really heartbreaking. we I remember we did this letter writing campaign to Oprah because again, neighbor, and we never heard back. We don't know if she ever got the letters, but mm-hmm. we tried. And um then, they farmed us Chicago public teachers that were working at Spalding out and they gave us like three choices of schools to interview with at a job fair they put together for us like throwing us a bone and i again i promised myself that i would take the first job anyone offered me because i really wanted to stay in chicago i mean i didn't want to go home and live with my parents and be like uh i couldn't hack it i was really loving chicago so That night, after my three interviews, I got a job offer, and I took it. And then, of course, the next day, I got a job offer from a, quote, better school. But, you know, I'd already accepted a job, and I was a person of my word. So I decided I was going to suck it up and and work at the school with non-working elevators. And the reason why I was okay with that is because it was close to my old school, so I knew a lot of my students from Spalding would be at this school. I didn't really comprehend that they would be relegated to the bottom floor because again, elevators always not working, but, um, I knew I would see a lot of them and that was a really interesting working for Chicago public schools is a completely crazy beast. Like there's so much red tape and bureaucracy and people on the grift that it is one of the most disheartening things that you you could possibly see I mean I know the state of public education isn't in a good place but in Chicago public schools it is so upsetting and disheartening to be a part of that and to see the kids get fucked over time and time again and you're just like a powerless cog in the wheel and you're just trying to give these kids a good experience and an education and you don't understand why when you go down to get supplies in the basement you see a room full of brand new computers that have been sitting there for five years. And it's like, well, why aren't we using these computers? And somebody says, oh, it's because they haven't been processed yet. And it's like, well, by the time they're processed, they're going to be out of date. Like, what are we doing? But that's like everything about Chicago public schools. Like, nothing makes sense. And then there's always somebody going to prison for, you know, fraud. Because they just skimmed $800,000 out of their school. Um, by the way, the principal of that school did go to prison. Um, the other principal I worked for went to Brazil to go visit her sister and then called the school and said, I'm not coming back. So, so that was that was interesting. But what ended up happening was I met my husband He came in uh, as a special education and history teacher, and that's how I met him, and he lasted at that school for a couple of years and then he decided he was gonna come to where he had grown up which is Des Moines and uh, take a job here in Des Moines and I thought like oh it'll be fine like we dated it was great whatever bye and then we ended up keeping in touch and my first experience in Des Moines he took me to the fair which is wild I felt like all we did was stop and eat all day in 90 something degree weather but I will say that I was riding the sky ride or whatever it is, and it was my first time meeting his family. I was really nervous. I was wearing flip-flops because again, didn't realize it was gonna be like 100 degrees. And one of my flip-flops fell as I was riding the sky glider or the sky ride. And there was this man who grabbed my flip-flop and he ran all the way down, whatever you call it, that main drag, he ran all the way down with my, with my shoe waving it at me like, I got you. And I was so touched and completely shocked by this person's random act of generosity. I mean, it's something I would have done, but like most people are like that. And I said, wow, and, and my now husband is like, yeah, that's just, for an example, yesterday we were taking one of our vehicles into a mechanic and he was, we were, my children and I were meeting him so that he could drop off the vehicle and we could take him home and we knew he was 20 minutes behind because he had to go do something with the car and then or the vehicle and then bring it so we're facing the street and we're facing a gas station on the other side and my kids are in the back and i look up and i see these two men pushing their car which it must it must have run out of gas and they it was really hard for them to figure out how to steer it and push it at the same time they kept running into the curb And I said to my kids, like, when when daddy gets here, like, I'm gonna let him know to go help them. And I see my husband, not like, a minute later, pull into the driveway, like, slam the car, the vehicle in the park, run across the street without us even saying anything, and then another person, like, screams up from the street, like, they're on fire, stops their car, both guys run out, now they have five people pushing this car, they get it into the gas station, and I'm just like, man, people are good. There are good fucking people. Like, you know, I mm-hmm. I got really misty and I was like so stoked that my kids got to see that. He didn't we didn't even have to say anything. Yeah, I got got a little overclamped. And so While I was here, I thought I was gonna teach. When I moved here to be with my husband, I really thought I was gonna teach. And I kept, I didn't entertain doing the suburbs or anything because I didn't understand them. I didn't understand why the smaller city had a million suburbs, that all started with the letter A. I didn't understand how they worked and where we were. And so I kept applying to Des Moines Public Schools and I wanted to sub so I could get a feel for all the schools here. And they kept misfiling my paperwork. And so I was never getting called for jobs. And it felt a little too close to what I had been through at Chicago Public Schools. And I'm like, well, maybe this is telling me I don't need to be doing this. So I started an Etsy store. And I was doing vintage and antique jewelry. And in my head, from the very first sale, I was like, I'm going to save as much as I can to open up a, a real store. And after 1,000 sales, I had had this nice little like, nest egg saved up. And so if we go back a little bit, I had been living in San Diego. I had been hit by a drunk driver. And this is one of those threads I had mentioned that ended up telling me I had to go. So while I was in San Diego, it was around my birthday. I was with one of my ex-boyfriends at the time we were together. And we were going to go out of town for my birthday. And it was in the middle of the day. We were parked at the bottom of a hill getting ready to get on the 163. And this Jeep Cherokee just plowed down through the intersections and plowed into us. And I had major cervical and lumbar spinal damage. And I didn't realize it at the time, but living in that dry heat climate actually really helped prolong my pain. It like helped keep the pain at a really manageable level. So when I moved to the Midwest, back to the Midwest, the really harsh winters and the really wet, humid summers, started taking more of a toll. And you live with it. With anyone who has chronic pain knows the whole dance of uh, adjusting your life around the chronic pain. You just find your literal and figurative crutches, and that's how you live your life. Um, Sometimes that means you don't go where you want to go in the winter. You know, you just make do at home. Um, And it definitely definitely showed me just how human we, we are in, in how, I mean, sometimes I felt like I was 80 years old, but the, the problem became that something was pressing on something. I had, I had like a herniated disc that was pressing on a particular part of my spinal column or thereabouts. It's been so long. I can't remember the particulars. And I was, I was starting to lose the feeling of my legs. So I would think that I was, you know, standing up to walk and I would just tumble down. It happened a few times when I got out of a car. I think I'd put my feet on the ground and my feet, my legs weren't working, but I couldn't feel that. It happened one time when I was visiting my cousin in in Brooklyn. I got out of bed and I just fell on the floor. Like my feet, my legs weren't working. So I went and I found a doctor. I, I saw a couple doctors and the one doctor told me that if I didn't have surgery, that I would lose the feeling of my legs permanently but he said I would live with a different kind of pain. I would trade it out. And so we did a lot of talking back and forth and he ended up uh, setting me up with a surgery where they went in through my stomach and I have this like five inch long vertical scar on my stomach and then they pulled all my organs out to get to my spine. There's a doctor just to do that, just to do that, just to take the organs out and remember where to put them back. That's his job, it's wild. I remember he and I got in a big old argument because I was like, how big is the scar gonna be? Like, what's it gonna look like? And he's like, look, do you wanna walk again or not? And I was like, wow, I forget how asshole-ish doctors can be, like, wow. I guess you have a point doctor, okay. So, um, that was his job. And then they went and they put a lot of metal in my spine and it's you've been mummified,
0: by the way. Like I'm <laughs> just thinking about this. Like, and they took out your organs and put them on a table, and then we put them back in. Isn't it wild? It's wild. So you have metal, metal stuff in your back. So you set yes. off, you set off detectors all the time.
1: It's very confusing. Anytime I get an X-ray, the X-ray techs are always like, "Can you? Did you take off your pants? Because one of the screws looks just like a button, and it's exactly where a button for your jeans would be." And they never, I, I always tell them, like, that's a screw, and it's just facing a really weird way. And they'll be like, no, can you take your pants off? I'm like, my pants are off, babe. They're comp- I'm pant- pantsless So, like, honestly, you do not need to take another one. And they're always just like, what? It's wild. So, um, I kind of, you know, I really wish my dad was still around because, you know, that would be a funny thing for him since he used to read X-rays for a living. But um, anyway... So teaching here, it didn't work out. I was doing my Etsy thing. I kind of took a pause to have the surgery. When in your youth, you think any medical procedure is just gonna, you're gonna bounce back from it. Like, oh, a surprise, spinal surgery is no joke. I don't know who needs to hear that, but hello. It's a, it's a very involved process. So I had to kind of relearn how to walk and I was down for the count for 18 months. And I slowly integrated back into my life. But you know, when you're when you're older and you move somewhere, especially if you move for love, and you don't know exactly what you're doing for work and you're not in school anymore, it's really hard to meet your people. So I still hadn't met my people. And I still had this idea that I really wanted to start a brick and mortar. And my husband is is always really supportive. And it so happened that I met somebody who wanted to do this with me because I was too afraid to take this chance on my own. Like if somebody rejects a store which is like reflects all of you, it feels like a rejection of you. And this is going back to that whole child thing. It's like I think children can handle somebody disliking their likes more so than an adult can unless you're like really adjusted and at that time it was so nerve-wracking for me to put myself out there and be like this is all the stuff I really like and and what if people didn't really like it so I I covered for that by agreeing to take on a partner and I remember I wrote a business plan and I I stayed home from all these like fun activities like 8035 to work on the business plan but I did it all and I was really I was really excited and I don't even know why I bothered with the business plan because we didn't end up getting a loan. I mean, I had the money. And then things, uh, we opened up the shop and it was really fun. And then things kind of went downhill with the business partner. Like we just didn't have the same work ethic. We didn't have the same views on pretty much anything where it could be as... As minimal as like the kinds of price tags we, we both thought we should use to um what kind of parties you know this person really liked going to parties to network and mingle and that's just not where I like to spend my time and energy I really just like smaller groups and kind of one-on-one and I'm not a person who loves to go to like big events and parties and uh and yeah, it ended up being a really acrimonious and difficult separation. Anytime there's money involved, and you know, looking back, going into business with somebody is is almost more intense than getting married. You know, you're you're sharing your dream, you're also sharing your finances. You're also, you know, you have this level of anxiety because at the beginning especially you have to make sure that your work ethic matches up and if it doesn't match up then that's going to cause so many different problems like and it can be very hard to communicate because you have all these like hopes and dreams and money tied up and and i i think like everything happens for a reason and that really tested me it was the universe saying oh how bad do you want this like, what are you going to do if you have to go it on your own? Like, can you handle this? So, when the business partner left, they took everything with them. And I had to start again from scratch. And I put it all back together in about three weeks. Everything kind of came together. Like, I, I met random people who ended up being, like, super helpful for fixtures. And then I developed connections like in this really crazy uh amount of time like I was pounding the pavement I was out there trying to figure out everything and it all came together and I reopened and it was on it was on my own it was just it was just me and I remember I worked there every day and the thought of having somebody help there was not even in my head it like was not something I felt like this shop could ever sustain and I, I definitely my daughter was two when I started the shop and my son was six and so there were a lot of days where my daughter would she just would come with me to the shop and she was pretty much too little to really fuck things up like right now she still can't go to the shop even though she's six and a half
0: because she's runs around yeah and grabs things and
1: pockets them and she won't let me talk to anybody And then all I really wanted was this little corner of the world where I could meet new people and I could, I could learn about them and we could have a chat and we could talk and we could share something that we both really love together just for that moment in time. And it still astonishes me when somebody comes back and they're like, you know, like I know people come back. Um, That still, it still warms my heart. I, I can't, I can't get over it. It, and how much, how much love. I remember when you told me, you know, we did that gratitude exercise. I remember that every time I walked through that front door. Like one time Lauren gave me this exercise where I would stop in front of the shop and I would say these sacred words and I would talk to the shop. Cause you know, when Lauren started, when you started working there, you would talk to things a lot, you know, you had, like, these little, you had banter with things, and, and it's just, it's you, it's just totally you, how you put your energy into everything, and you, like, take this amazing energy out, and so you taught me this thing, and, uh, I don't know, I'm forever grateful, the way that you came into my life was, I love it, I love it, like, somebody brought you into my shop, and they said, you know, I think you'll like the shop, and you and I just really hit it off, And then you started working there and yeah the shop would not be what it is without you and your energy and your love and like all of your points of view there's something about the way you and I work together and how we feed off of each other like you my head is always in the clouds and you have this way of bringing me back to earth but in this really gentle loving way and it's funny it's usually really funny I enjoy every laugh we
0: have together. (laughs) Well, I don't. Yeah, I think Instagram the algorithm introduced me to your shop when I moved back to Des Moines from Brooklyn. You know, like maybe a couple years in, and and uh, I came. I was really really nervous about coming in because I was like, I really want to like this lady because I really like metaphysical shops, and I'm not sure what this place is, and just the energy of it, and being so Venus ruled. I think that you had the first location and it was, you know, uh, a Libra, you opened it in Libra season, Venus season. And then you moved the shop shortly after I met you into the Mm -hmm. larger space when the goods store left out of there, but you opened it in Taurus season, also Venus season. And it's like such a, you know, Venus is all about drawing people in and working with self-worth. And There's so many things that I see with kin, even the name being, you know, kin is in friendships and community, but kin in Japanese means gold, and you're sitting in front of me with a gold dress on, and Leo is associated with gold, and you have a daughter named Marigold, Goldie, and, and, uh, you know, you sell these beautiful wares that help people to adorn themselves and their lives in a way that makes them feel more worthy, and you know, I get to do work now because you were the first person to say, like, you can do a pop-up with astrology. And I remember those first sessions just being terrified. I was like, I don't know enough. What did I just get myself into? Am I really charging for this? This is incredible, you know? And then some of the people coming in with their arms crossed and like, you know, now I'm in a space where I can see Saturdays like 18 people in a row. And to To feel and celebrate and be able to draw energy from the space and from the universe and just really feed into people. And that's, the shop is such a reflection of you, just like that inner child part of you that said like, I want to have a shop because it's like me on the outside. It's like me externalized. This is, this is the sun. This is the energy that I shine. But I mean, I think there's so much to your story about optimism and resilience that comes to mind. I mean, you talking about pain management is a real deal. This is something that you live with and have lived with for over a decade, you know, and going through surgeries and having screws in your spine. And, you know, some days are easier than others, you know, and having to find the right medications to support you through that pain process and being in a body, but still able to move and get up and keep pushing yourself and to raise your kids. And, um, I mean, here we are on the other, not, not the other side, but like on a different part of the pandemic. And I mean, it's, it has been a journey. And I think that you, you were able to see that people wanted your business to support your business during the shit show or the upside down as you called it. Yeah.
1: That was wild. You know, so many business, every business was struggling but uh, I, I wanted, I stayed closed a little longer than other stores. I know I had that really bad slide into depression and you took over the shop Instagram and I, I don't know what I would have done without you. Like you stepped up for me in a way that very few people step up for other people. If I, if I spend too much time in that dark place remembering how bad it was for me, I, I can feel it again. I can really feel it. I knew I was sliding into a depression like so many other people were. I could see the train entering the tunnel and I couldn't do anything to stop it. And you stepped up and you were like, there's no reason we have to open when everybody else does. You know, you take your time, you try to get better. I can handle the social media. It was funny because like, you know, a few weeks into it, you're like, wow, this is a lot of work. (laughs) And I was like, "Yep, it's, it's pretty crazy, but it's a great problem to have that it's, you know, it requires a little bit of attention and finesse and, and that anyone is, people really showed up for the shop and they really supported the, the businesses and that was, incredibly touching and moving especially in this place I was in I would have these check-ins with you and I'd be like How's it going? You're like, it's going good. Every everything is going okay. You don't have to worry and as I started getting better and I was all I wanted to do was be able to play with my kids again And then after I was able to play with my kids. I wanted to be able to get in the shower and start taking care of my physical body again. and So then I got to that step and then I was able, I was so scared to come back into the shop, like, oh my God, Mm -hmm. like what, what is this, what is life like leaving the house after a total depressive episode? uh, Driving to the shop that day, coming in, and then we were all talking and you guys felt like everybody was getting ready to be back open with the restrictions. And so we did that, we did a capacity and masks and sanitized and mm-hmm. hit all the
0: testers and yeah that was that was so crazy it was so crazy i can't think i mean it's hard to think that it was just a year ago that right. we had no idea we had no idea how this thing worked and we were all terrified of each other but somehow we like trusted each other to like come and be in the space and you guys were doing those fire sales on Instagram. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. It was, I mean, I, I learned more about crystals in that month, I think, than, you know, it was like a, you know, just educating. Like, I felt like that was really the space that I could take up was just, you know, all right, give me the mic. You go lay down in the back. <laughs> I don't know.
1: It's funny how things, when they start aligning and you you find your groove, you're doing you're doing your true purpose like you're really showing the world who you are and what you care about and how different that feels than when you walked into the shop that first time and I said that you should do readings and you were like oh I don't know about that you know but then the best way to challenge yourself is to sort of put yourself in that situation where you're forced to kind of it's trial by fire like if I didn't intend on selling crystals i loved the vintage and antique jewelry that was my jam it was what my dad got me hooked on um, he was a huge collector of turquoise jewelry and he educated me like he introduced me to people but people would come in and see the crystals on the wall that were my father's because he loved specimens too and they'd say you know do you, can i buy this like they thought it were for, they were for sale and then I said, well, there surely must be a place that you can buy crystals in Des Moines. And I remember I had asked my husband where he, if he knew of a crystal place, and he took me to a place and I was just like, oh, it's not my jam, it's somebody else's, it's fine." Mm-hmm. But I slowly started incorporating crystals into the shop. And then by doing that, in talking to people about them, you learn more about them, and then it opens up a door, and then another door, and then all of a sudden, it's become like half crystals, half jewelry, <laughs> which is truly wild because it wasn't gonna be anything but just keeping my crystals at the shop. Mm-hmm. And then I noticed that more and more people would say to me, "I'd love to learn more about crystals," and so I would do a free crystal basics class and. It's a small shop, so we would maybe have 10 to 12 people. Um, The first one, I panicked, even though I had been teaching in a school setting, it's different when it's sort of your peers or whatnot. Whoa, like there were people all the way down the stairs and I said, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? But those moments in life where you feel like put on the spot, you're in the spotlight. This is how I felt when I would play bass, and the guys in my band would put me in the middle. And I'm like, well, "Why am I in the middle? I just want to be on the side." And they're like, "No, like we're two singer-guitarists. The drummer is behind you, and you go in the middle." And I'm like, "I'm not comfortable with that." And for a long time, I refused to turn around and face the crowd. Can you fucking imagine? Like, it's you're not- like Jim
0: Morrison, just like not facing the audience. I mean, the whole show. Oh. I'm so scared. This is such a, this is the Leo part that's really interesting. It's like you get, you get up on stage, even though you don't want to, (laughs) because you know you had to. Well,
1: I wanted to play my music. I wanted to play the songs. I just didn't have the confidence to stand there and remember the first person I had shared, like I wanted to accept me with playing bass was like, well, the songs you don't like are good. I don't like that music. And then the boys who I grew up around were always like, you should sell me your base. The underlying and overarching theme would be, this isn't for you for whatever reason. This should be mine. You should give it to me. Same thing with skateboarding. And so I developed very real issues around this. And so when I found myself in a band that some people liked, it was like, well, why you? I mean, I don't know. At the time, I don't think I could see outside of myself to be like, why not me? Because look, when I went to start my business, the brick and mortar that I'd always wanted to do, I had those same feelings. Like, well, why me? And instead of thinking that way, even though we're not, it's not consciously presenting as in like, why you? It, if we can twist it and just be like, why not me? And I think as a society, we've come a lot further than even just a few years ago in terms of being able to celebrate self-love and self-worth and living in our truths and presenting to people how we want to be. Like, this is me. And I, you know, it do, age does help. The older you get, the less, you, the less time and energy you have to devote to wondering if people like you. And... I think that that's a really good way that our society is, is moving. It's not selfishness. It's, I think it's more selfless to be like, well, this is who I am, than masquerading as something that you're not. And, you know, as a shop owner, I remember getting advice if something doesn't sell, you take it off the shelves, right? It, it's not working, it's not resonating it becomes less personal when somebody unfollows you or they unsubscribe, to your, they unsubscribe to your million list or they don't like a line that you put in your shop. It becomes... it's, It doesn't sting as much the longer you go at it. So something that really upset me in my first couple of years were these little things where it felt like such a rejection of me. And then, like you and I were saying, you don't have to be for everyone. You can find something that resonates with you just like um if you go see a different astrologer or a different tarot reader it's a different energy exchange it's a different vibe you might just resonate with somebody more and you stop taking it so personally you know it just might not be somebody's jam I personally really enjoy interacting with people and I've been in stores where like not a single person has acknowledged me and it's just, that's the way people are different. So this store is an homage to my father. Uh, he loved and collected jewelry. He's now been gone for 14 years and I feel like he lives on in a lot of how this store is. I once talked to a psychic who told me, That he sees what I'm doing and he's really proud of me. And that I don't have to give him as much, like, credit anymore as I do. But it will always be an homage to him. You know, it will always be tied to my father. Because a lot of these passions I have wouldn't have been fostered as deeply as they were had I had a different father. Um, I don't know how... Typical it is for to have a parent who is really into crystals and turquoise in the Midwest. I don't know. I mean, it, it doesn't seem that typical, but um, when I mean, I still have pieces of his jewelry that they may not be for me, but I can't put them in the shop. Like they're first, they must be for one of my children, or they must be for somebody I know and love because there's something telling me. But all of the things of his still have such a distinct energy of his. And I can feel that he's really proud of me and that I know my mom is really, really freaking into it, you know, and the shop has even brought out some really interesting passions for my mom too. When she was in better health, because she had a heart attack a year ago, when she was in better health, she would come and help out at the shop when she was in town and she made these Petoskey stone bracelets and Petoskey stones are these um, fossilized stones that are millions of years old and they're only found in one area around the bay in Petoskey, Michigan. And we just like last week went up it's like at the upper part of the mitten in Michigan. We just went up there and collected Petoskey rocks and then we saw a sign on the bike path. There was a man in a garage who's like, you know, looking for petoskey stones i polish them like call this number arrow this way so one day we just like chased him down went into his garage he's got this whole polishing setup he is he looks exactly how you'd expect him to look uh we talked about how his children don't want to follow in his footsteps so like the buck's gonna stop with him and we're lamenting that fact because it's such a cool thing i mean anybody can just go take their rocks into him and he'll polish them up and then you have a like an expertly polished petoskey stone and these rocks are so special so she would make these power bracelets out of petoskey stone beads that were polished by a friend of hers a, a man who has been in the bead business for probably close to 50 years and i've known him since i was 11. so i've known him for a long time and he has a shop in Detroit, and so she, when he has Petoskey stone beads, my mom buys them out, and she puts them in the shop, and it's really special because you know, anytime I Venmo my mom for her little like power bracelet, she is so tickled, like oh somebody somebody liked what I made, you know, and it's it's interesting to see, uh, to think about how the shop appears to my children, and the place it has in my parents life and and it's crazy to think that now that i feel so I'm, I'm so at peace like i said and maybe it's just time or maturity or emotional development or whatever but i'm, I'm much more at ease with what i have in the store and, and how it's received and i feel much more aligned and it's amazing to think that I've found something to do that makes me so happy. And it's given me so many gifts. And, and here I am in this, in this position that like, you just want for everybody you love. You want for everybody in general. Like, I want everybody to find something they love that much.
0: That's really powerful. That you found your path but I mean everything just kind of took you there you know thank you for sharing your story I'm really moved (laughs) I feel like I really see you right now in a new way (laughs) I don't even know how to respond it just feels really good to um, hear that you feel so centered and comfortable with who you are and where your life has taken you You're a real gift, Heather. Thank you for changing my life. And you you touch so many lives just with your ridiculous sense of humor and your incredible taste. (laughs) You created a a space where people feel like they can share themselves. It's a real gift. Well, I love that you can see me and you've
1: given me so many gifts. and, And I honestly, the minute you came into my life, I was in such a period, such a crazy state of distrust. And I was half of a person and I couldn't. Let my walls down, and you just barreled on in there, and our love was so fierce, and it still is. And you got me to trust again and to love again, and you've given me and the shop so many gifts. And I, I can't. I feel like I can't ever repay you, but I just want you to know how much I love you.
0: No. <laughs> Get me <off>. I know. <laughs> Stop the recording. And that was Heather Rowe sharing her journey, her story, her strength, her hope. Uh, we definitely had a good cry towards the end of that session. Um, you know, getting to, to sit down with the people I interview and really have an opportunity to see folks over the course of an hour has um, been a really meaningful process for me. And I, I just love that I, I get to do this. I don't know why I didn't start it earlier, but I think part of it was just trusting myself and finding that confidence and that heart that I could uh, put myself out there, put my heart on my sleeve, and uh, allow myself to be poked by the universe, prodded, uh, growing, uncomfortable in all the ways that we learn to share ourselves. This is Lauren K. Hickman. You found the Inspired Astrology Podcast. You can find me on Instagram at Lauren K. Hickman. You can support this work through Venmo or PayPal. Uh, sign up for the Moon Mailer. You can do that through my website energyinterpreter.com or just laurenk.hickman.com. Uh, feel free to book a reading with me. Doing virtual readings. I have some space for uh, Milwaukee in-person bookings. I have upcoming events, uh, and if you sign up for the Moon Mailer, you get access to me directly and to the reports uh, prior to posting them on on the IG on the Instagram. Uh, Again, huge support and love for KIN, Modern Mystical Apothecary in Des Moines. You can find them at www.kin, kinds uh, Their shop is available online, and I cannot even express the beauty, the Venusian, the magnetism, and the self-worth quality that this store offers uh, to the community there in Des Moines. I miss it sorely, but I also know that I am in the right place at the right time trusting the process. Till next time, folks, stay inspired.